are thrilled to have the institutional fundraising platform Instrumental join us as a multi-episode sponsor in Season 5. Instrumental CEO Gary Monglick has created a mini-series of grant tips to help you be more efficient and strategic in your grant seeking. Listen in on today's tidbit. When should you consider cultivating a foundation that gives only to pre-selected organizations? Yeah, funders that only give to pre-selected organizations can be a really great option to pursue, but you'll want to make sure that you have very strong mission alignment uh, and you'll want to in particular look at their past giving to see if it is in line with, um, with your mission and your projects. You'll want to for sure see if you have some sort of relationship or connection, check who's on the board, check if you know somebody at any of their past grantees. Um, and the last thing you'll want to check um, is to get a sense of how open they are to new grantees. There's a misconception that invite-only funders are not open to new grantees, but in reality, they do give. They're just not public about it. So if you use a tool like Instrumental, um, Instrumental can actually tell you what percent of their grants actually go to new grantees versus repeat grantees, so you can actually see if it makes sense to prioritize that funder. To find out more, check out Instrumental.com. Use coupon code HEYDAY50 for $50 off the first month of Instrumental. That's I-N-S-T-R-U-M-E-N-T-L dot com. Well, hello there. I'm Kimberly Hayes Day Muga. And I'm Amanda Day. And you're listening to Season 5 of the Fundraising Heyday Podcast. That's right. We are here to help you make sense of the complex world of grant writing and fundraising, whether you work for a nonprofit, local government, or are a consultant who serves them. On Fundraising Heyday, we will cover the how-to, or how-not-to, but we also want to explore the why, including looking at that snarling bear of iniquity that is cruising through the forest of philanthropy. And as always, we're doing it every two weeks with the help of experts in the field and our particular brand of entertainment, which includes typically some cheesy songs and sound effects, which I know are coming this episode. And of course, the occasional y'all, because learning does not have to be boring. Now let's jump into today's topic. This podcast is brought to you by our season five sponsor, D.H. Leonard Consulting and Grant Writing Services. Don't let grants stress you out. Their team can help you with grant readiness and training, grant research, grant writing, mock review, as well as providing numerous DIY resources, guides, and templates. Did you know that with every Fundraising Heyday episode, we create a coordinating blog post on their website, dhleonardconsulting.com. Check it out today. So y'all, you know, if you could see Amanda's face right now, you would see how excited she is for today's topic. Yep, it is my favorite annual episode. And to be clear, it's not because I'm happy to share these stories or excited to talk about fraud or gleeful to share the consequences of these actions. But I'm just always amazed at certain people's audacity when it comes to lying, cheating, and stealing for personal gain. It blows my mind, quite frankly. it's true. And and we have both spent many years uh, training co-workers and boards and classrooms of fledgling grant professionals all about the rules and regs around grant management. Um, and 
there, when it comes to other people's money, particularly uh, grant funding, federal or private funding, there are a lot of rules and regulations around what you can and can't do. Um, one of the number one rules is uh, to not deviate from the budget. And while the rules can be tedious and in many cases, I think, unfair and, 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 and perhaps cause some damage, the, the thing is, if you break them, there's usually bad things that happen. And so by talking about these horror stories, um, maybe it's a way to get people in your orbit of the grants world to pay attention as to why they do need to honor their grant agreements and their budgets. Oh, exactly. Um, Because, you know, Kimberly, both you and I for many years taught a very specific federal grant management class. And when you start going over all the rules and regulations and the tedium, you just, you start to see in class, right? The, The eyes get glazed over, people start getting sleepy. Everybody's just like, oh my gosh. But you tell a story about grants gone wrong and suddenly they're sitting up and paying attention, right? Or maybe you have a friend whose colleague wants to do something that's not okay in the grant world and you've told them the rules, but they don't really care. I have found that when that happens, because it didn't happen to a friend, this has happened to me on multiple occasions. Sometimes the best way to get them across is not like, hey, that's against the rules, is to go, let me tell you this story about this organization and this particular individual who broke the rules and guess what the consequences were. They're either now in jail or had to pay money back or had to pay money out of their own pocket or whatever it was. Or can't apply can't apply for more grant funding because they did this. Exactly. And so to me, those things usually get people to be like, oh, okay, now I get it. Um, And so that's why we decided it's worth having this annual episode to share these stories. So, and hopefully you don't need them, but if you do, we got some stories for you. Also, I want to point out that when I was teaching uh, pre-COVID, when I was teaching grant management classes all across the country, every single class. I had someone, this is all over the country, people from agents, large and small agencies, large and small. Somebody would come up to me. Sometimes they'd share during the class. Sometimes they'd say it was a friend in air quotes of theirs that that, uh, was doing this. But a lot of times it was on the breaks or at lunch or after the class, there would Mm -hmm. always be at least one person regardless of the class size, at least one who would come up and tell me about a concern that they had either at their current job or their former job about Mm -hmm. grant fraud. I am, I am telling you every single time. Absolutely. So um, with that being said, I'd like to get us started with our first story that would make a wonderful law and order grant fraud. We need like a law and order grant fraud unit. Would that be good? Yes. Oh, but that would, that would be a, that would be a GFU. So that could, that's kind of a naughty little acronym and I'm hundred percent here for it. (laughs) Well, in the law and order sense of things, let's start it off by going dun, 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 dun. All right, here's a little story about a university professor um, who was convicted of stealing grant funding. Um, This is taken um, from an article titled Morgan State Professor Manoj Jha Accused of Stealing Grant Money in the Indian Panorama. Um, This actually dates back to 2012. It's an oldie but a goodie. Um, So this particular professor was from Morgan State University in Baltimore, Maryland. 
and um, the was uh, was um, indicted uh, in a, a scheme to defraud the National Science Foundation, so federal funding, through the uh, National Science Foundation or NSF's Small Business Technology Transfer Program. Um, he was awarded and Morgan State University was awarded $200,000 and then tried to get another half a million dollars through the same grant program. And you may be like, well, so he wrote a grant and he got awarded. I'm like, but wait, my children, there's more. He (laughs) got the grant awarded by fabricating an elaborate research proposal through a company he founded. And so the article details, um, that the the stated purpose was to enhance models used by highway planners to optimize horizontal and vertical highway routes and ultimately to commercialize the result. I just read those words out loud. I have no idea what they mean, but it was uh, (laughs) transportation related. So, um, so with this funding, he, um, he made some personal mortgage and credit card payments, paid his wife 11 grand for work she didn't do and wrote himself a $6,000 check. The alleged fraud included lying on a grant proposal, okay, saying he'd take leave from the university to work on the project and that the University of Maryland was collaborating. He also lied about another Morgan State professor um, serving as a scientific advisor and receiving $100,000 in matching funds from another source, which was a requirement of the grant. Um, Just all sorts of wrongdoing here, vacant timesheets and expenditure reports to conceal the the way he was taking that grant money and using it on personal expenses. Um, now, the, as reported by the U.S. Department of Justice in a press release they issued, a federal jury convicted the professor of wire fraud, mail fraud, falsification of records, and theft of government property. He was sentenced to three years in prison, followed by three years of supervised release, and he had to pay $105,726 in restitution. And we weren't, I'm not citing all the facts um, in um, in this particular case, but it's like, I really hope that it was worth it to pay your mortgage and credit cards and give your wife eleven thousand dollars. But part of me's like, <laughs> part of me's like, if you're gonna go big, go big. What is this eleven thousand dollars and a six thousand dollar <laughs> check, dude? You got to pay back a hundred and five thousand dollars plus. Um, but it didn't even go as badly as it could have for him because he could have been sentenced to over eighty years under the maximum sentence allowed. So it's like, yeah. Maybe times were tough, but is this is this is this really where we needed to go? But also, you fabricated an entire program, yeah, and well enough so that it passed review and muster from for the National Science Foundation. And it's like, what if you had just spent that time like figuring out how to make money legit ways? I mean, <laughs> you should power I mean, for good. I'm just saying, I'm just saying, but a, just an yeah. example of how it can happen and how someone can get all the way through the review system because, you know, the review system is good, but it's not perfect. And clearly this, this person, this professor knew had in-depth knowledge on how to structure these grants and write them and provide documentation um, in a way that got the grant in the first place. 
Yep. Well, the thing that kills me about this story, it's almost like if there was a checklist of all the ways you could commit grant fraud, it's like he went down all of them. Yeah, right he's on the like, I'm going to do this and this Check. and this. Yep. Pretend I have money I don't have in matching funds. Check. <laughs> Submit false timesheets. Check. He he kind of did it all. This is also why we can't have nice things, y'all. We can't. We have grant managers um, or just nonprofits and government agencies and local government in general. This is one, this is an example of why we have to do all this ridiculous documentation, right? Cause this was yeah, several it really years is. ago. I mean, uh -huh. this is why we can't have nice things. Cause we got people out there who think it would be great to get a government grant to pay their mortgage. And, mm -hmm. and so know. the rest of us pay the consequences yep. of that. Yep. Um, so I've got one. This was a little bit longer to delve into, but it hits close to home um, for Kimberly and I. We've been paying attention to this story for the past year or so. Um, but the mayor of a fairly new Georgia city, I think um, the city oh, it's is Stone Stone, it's Stonecrest. It's right down the road from where I live. Yeah, it's the right same county the as you. Oh, yeah. Um, but it's fairly new city. Just The city just came into being, what would you say, Kimberly, like six couple years five six right? years ago yeah, something like that yeah um so their mayor got in trouble he, uh, after mismanaging oh, federal oh, covid think, funding i think the adjective you need to use here is former mayor but i'm just saying this is yeah, you're correct there yeah, 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 um, yeah. so lots of articles about this um getting most of my information from an atlanta journal constitution article um from april 14th of 2021 that was titled investigation Stonecrest Relief Program plagued by mismanagement. Oh, oh COVID relief funding. Oh, oh uh, this makes no. me mad. Sorry, this makes me mad. Go ahead. I know. So the city of Stonecrest, like many cities back then, got $6.2 million in federal relief funds. Um, and, you know, a, I know tons of communities that got this money. And the whole point of it was not just to give it the money to the city, but then the city was supposed to do some sort of process. A lot of cities did um, grant applications. In fact, I had a few friends that worked for cities that were like, hey, <laughs> can they pointers for me to write a grant application? Um, so it was supposed, the money was supposed to be delved out to your local businesses, nonprofits, maybe even churches, um, to make sure that they are able to keep their doors open and people stay employed and all of that good stuff, right? Um so there was an internal investigation by the city attorney um, that and it looked like there were some in, improper contracts that looked an awful lot like a kickback scheme. OK, yep, yep. Um, and this the whole investigation happened because the city council was like, um, we think some shady stuff's going on. You need to start an investigation. Um, there were ethical violations by city employees. Um, and all kinds of things. So the report that the uh, attorney did, what he said is, first of all, city staff did not follow the city's purchasing policy when contracting with some vendors, and they didn't get required approvals from mayor and council. Cannot stress enough, especially when you have federal funds, to follow your procurement policy to a T. Otherwise, even if you do nothing wrong, it looks like you're trying to get around something, right? Um, there was this crazy marketing scheme um, they, any business or charity who got some of these funds had to agree to pay 25% of their funding to one of three pre-selected marketing companies. Basically, Guess what? Guess what? All tied to city officials or had deep ties to city staff. I'll tell you yeah. what. A scheme not revealed to the council. Um, 
the city signed a contract with a company called Municipal Resource Partners, which is a nonprofit to help oversee their CARES Act program, which is that's there's nothing wrong with doing that. If, if a city doesn't have the time or the bandwidth or the experience, you certainly could hire an expert oh, to do but, that. Oh, but, but the Amiga, was, yes, it yes, was signed. Great. It was signed without the city council never saw it. And this was like a half a million dollar contract. This it should have gone through procurement. City council should have seen it. None of those things happened. The council didn't even get a copy of it until they did an open re- records request within their own organization, which is That's insane. That's a sad thing. That's a sad yeah. thing. Um, so basically, four checks for a total of $6 million were written to this municipal resource partners. They were all signed by the city's economic development director, a gentleman named Clarence Boone. Um, the city paid this company $510,000 of the money to help oversee the process and help select small businesses. Now, why I pointed out the gentleman who was who signed the contract is when he presented the bookkeeping records, there were multiple discrepancies found. Um, in fact, how much money got dis- distributed, um, there was about $150,000 discrepancy. Um, and oddly enough, Boone's wife, she held a fiduciary role within the organization, and she basically signed most of their checks. So if you're thinking, wait a minute, what's wrong with that? Let me just point out that yes. um, there's this whole sort of nepotism action going on here, and um, not a good system of checks and balances here, so to speak, when you've got husband and wife or spouses, you know, partners within that same organization doing it. Also, this organization was only this nonprofit that was supposed to manage all this was maybe was less than two years old when this whole thing got started. So, yeah. And the CEO of that company was the city's former attorney. I'm just saying lots of nepotism things going on here. It's getting a little stinky. Yeah. So it, it, I won't delve. It goes on and on. There's a lot of other stuff going on. Um, so. Oh, but, oh, but please. That talk was in April. Phone. Oh, yes. Oh, so no. then in an article from January of 2022, also from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, it was titled, Former Stonecrest Mayor Pleads Guilty <laughs> to Federal Fraud Charges. Um, and so the mayor, uh, Jason Larry was his name. He actually helped get... Stonecrest, the city's, the Cab County's newest and most populous city, started over five years ago. He ended up entering a plea deal on charges um, that he basically stole six hundred and fifty thousand dollars of these COVID relief funds. He pled guilty to wire fraud, federal program theft, and a conspiracy to commit federal program theft. Um, basically, he was taking money that should have gone to small businesses, and he used it to pay for the mortgage on his lake house. He remember we told you the economic developer, Mr. Boone, and then his wife worked for this co- company. Um, they helped some of that money went to pay for their child's college tuition and rent. Nice, nice. Yeah. Um, an hour before he was um, went and pled guilty, he resigned as mayor. Um, he took a plea deal because he's going to uh, cooperate with government agents and help provide documents and testify at future trials. So you can imagine there's going to be some more indictments handed down. Um, he could get uh, 35 years in prison. Um, he could also be asked to pay restitution to some of the victims. Um, chances are, since he's a cooperating witness, he's not going to get the max. Um, but the FBI has said in this article that the mayor planned the whole scheme. He planned all this before the money even showed up because they well, knew it was pl- coming. But, but he didn't, did he know 
he had to have had a theme of ripping off government funding in mind because he couldn't have yes. predicted COVID. But no, but I'm saying right when we the before the money showed up, but we knew you knew COVID money was coming, right? So he yeah. went ahead and started getting. He recruited the municipal resource partner CEO, that former attorney, and he ensured that the economic development director's wife got hired there. All those companies that were supposed to provide marketing help, and again, I'm marketing in quotes here, um, they were all connected to him somehow, those businesses. Um, He also helped determine who got money, including he made sure his church, even though his church did not apply for the funding, he made sure they got a $150,000 grant award. And then he asked them, hey, of that award, would you give $50,000 to one of these companies And that money is going to go to home repairs for those who can't afford them. But really, it helped pay for his own home, his like house. Well, you know, I mean, I can totally see why this happened at the church because it is written in the scripture, you know, go ye forth and committeth fraud. Yeah. Um, it's what well, Jesus I'm sure the church didn't know. I'm sure they were like, well, no, 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 I'm not blaming this, the, I'm yeah. not blaming the church, but I'm like, dude, now you got to get the church involved. But also I'm like, did whether or not they knew you're getting a $150,000 grant, but you've got to give a third of it to this company. I mean, yeah, just the whole thing. And we don't know. And so I am only speculating, but it's like, this is why we can't have nice things. Yeah. Not everybody did this, but also as a small business owner, I chose not to participate in this funding, even though I was eligible to, when it first came out, certainly not in Stonecrest, but because I was like, you know what, I'm doing okay. I mean, I've taken a hit, but I, I think I have some other avenues and, I'm just, I'm going to sit back on this one. But meanwhile, Mr. Grabby Greedy Hands here was mm-hmm. like just going hog wild. And, and again, this is why we can't have nice things. This is why yeah. we cannot have nice things. So as we are sort of paying the price um, for people who did this, the only good thing that I can say came out of it is that it was so sloppily done that it was um, obvious that there was something going wrong. And also... Yes. As a person who lives in a big city in the southeast that that thinks that a lot of citizens think the best thing to do is to keep forming these small cities to better manage things. How do you like me now? How do you like me now? Do you think that was good? Because I just think that was fantastic. Said no one ever. This yeah. was clearly, clearly the even the setup of this city was 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 primed to do something like this. You cannot tell me that this wasn't already an idea in someone's head connected with this administration. Well, and one of the reasons I do like to share these stories is because when I, I is every time I teach a grant management class, there's always a student in there that you can tell the more you delve into all this stuff that they're terrified. And like you've said, you've always had someone come up and is like, Oh my gosh, I got a story to tell. I almost always would have someone who was like, there's no, I I don't think I can do all of this and I'm going to end up in jail. And I'm, the reason I like to share these stories is if you make a mistake, trust me, I have made plenty of mistakes with Grant before, right? I have forgotten to do a certain step. I have done reported something incorrectly. The trick is it's an honest mistake. And as soon as I realize it, I talk to my funder, we figure out a plan, we fix it and we move on. Right. The thing here, these are not honest mistakes. These are people that from the get go, very specifically decided 
I'm going to take this money that's supposed to be going out and doing good, and I'm going to use it for personal gain. That's why they're going to jail, not because they were a day late on a report, not because they couldn't figure out where $10,000 went and it went a legit place. It's because it, they, nobody knows where it went because it went into their pocket, right? So I think that's important to point it's out. It's also, this is a depressed part of the county where the residents are primarily people of color mm-hmm. who are desperate for economic development, who yep. are not going to get a lot of government funding after this, I'm, I'm thinking, for a while. So it's just like, um, it's just a sad story all the way around. It just, and it makes me really angry. But it's also an example of if you are working at a place where you think it's not just like Amanda said, somebody just, oh, I miscoded this invoice. So in our general accounting ledger, it's actually for grant X instead of Y. Oh, let me change it. That's not what we're talking about no. here. But if you are working in a place where these kinds of things are going on and you know it and don't do anything about it. you're contributing to the problem, frankly. Mm -hmm. Now you can, if it, particularly if it's federal funding, if you do suspect that something like this is going on and by suspect, I mean, you've got maybe a little evidence here too, or something Mm -hmm. you can share. Um, If you're, if your agency or government agency does not have a whistleblower policy, or if it does, if you suspect that it's not worth the paper it's printed on, then you can also trigger audits and other things um, from OMG um, by alerting local media or there's their tip lines and there are other kinds of things. And if you are in a place where you where you are you're seeing this kind of thing going on, I just really the more we speak up and and let each other know that it's okay to speak up because you don't want to be dragged into this and um, the more that we're able to speak up, speak out, and get these things addressed, um, the harder it's going to be for people to defraud this. And for me, that's the biggest yeah. thing. I want. I want to deter. I can't tell you how to live your life, but I can. I just want to. I just want this kind of funding to be a hard target. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it should be. Um. So we're going to wrap today's episode with a quick follow-up story to one we told you last year. So, quick recap. Um, Tennessee Senator Katrina Robinson, she was um, accused and charged with theft and embezzlement for stealing $600,000 in health and human service funds. Um, if you remember, she had a healthcare company. She got a grant to be able to train more nurses, to get them out into the workforce. And other and kind they, of healthcare workers too, right? They're yeah. like CNAs, uh, different yeah. techs. Yeah, 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 yeah. All those kinds of things. Yep, yep. Um, and if you'll remember, they accused her of using that money for personal things, right? To include the trifecta of paying for her wedding, honeymoon, and divorce. Oh, oh, oh. Yeah. So if you remember that story. Um, so in a WREG Memphis article on September 30th, 2021, um, the title of the article was Senator Katrina Robinson found guilty on four fraud charges. Um, so she initially was charged with I want to say, I think they ended up dropping 15. The judge dropped 15 of the charges. So it went down to four and the the, um, jury found her guilty on all four charges. In a press conference immediately after the verdict, she continued to maintain that she was totally innocent and targeted for prosecution. 
Um, and so there was a Yahoo article on January 7th of t- this year that said entitled Tennessee State Senator Katrina Robinson acquitted of two counts of wire fraud, but two remain. So of the four she was uh, uh, initially charged with, two of them got dropped, but there are two still. Um, there, we're kind of waiting to see, is she going to go back to trial? Is she going to be sentenced? What those remaining two, I'm not quite sure, um, but she has gotten it down from nearly 20 charges down to two. So not the, there's going to be more to the story here. I just want to know the lawyers she's using. Cause that's some good, that's some, that's some good defense right there. It's something. Yep. <laughs> so there you have it folks. Stories of grants gone wrong. Um, this episode is dropping on April fool's day Eve of 2022. But um, we don't, suggest that you go with uh with grant fraud for an april fool's joke a little gag in your workplace and then because that's not how it works but otherwise we could be talking about you in the next year's installment of this ripped from the headlines that's right instead we'd like you to use this episode as maybe a scared straight tactic got a board or a co-worker who can't seem to get that grant management rules are a big deal well just tell them to have a listen And in the meantime, you keep on following your procurement policies, your grant award requirements, and stick to your grant budget. Chances are, if you want to use grant money to pay for your mortgage, you probably shouldn't. Um, You just shouldn't. Come on, (laughs) y'all. And if you know someone who's trying to tell you that's a good idea, it's just the answer is no. I'm just going to go out on a limb and go, the answer is no. Yeah. The answer is no. Um. And granted, it doesn't hurt to be a rule follower like my dear friend Amanda. I mean, it keeps you out of jail. It's just not a bad way to live your grand professional life. And if it keeps the money going to where it really needs to go, which is to benefit communities in need, um, that's where it needs to go, not in somebody's pocket. Absolutely. Thank you for listening. Your continued support is the reason we are back for season five. Please follow and leave a review of Fundraising Heyday on Apple Podcasts. Um, you can also find us on our website, uh, fundraisingheyday, H-A-Y-D-A-Y.com, and you can listen to the podcast from our desktop if you'd like. Um, you can follow us and share the show with your friends. Uh, this really it's helps so much. This helps so much. Um, and it helps people find our program, people just like you. So we appreciate it. Thank you again to our Season 5 sponsor, D.H. Leonard Consulting and Grant Writing Services. We so appreciate their support in making grants less stressful. Visit their website at dhleonardconsulting.com to download their latest free resources today. We're so honored you chose to spend time with us today and hope you tune in for our next episode. We're speaking with our friend from across the pond, David Burgess for a comparison and contrast in how each country approaches fundraising. You don't want to miss it. Bye now. Ta-ta.